And um, I have a few items that I would like to show you uh, today. Um, first, this is a heavy MacBook from 2006. Does anyone remember these white MacBooks? Uh, so this is a MacBook, an old MacBook. Um, here's a, a piece of styrofoam, okay? Uh, here's a book. The name of the book is Refuge. They found love and a mountain paradise. But could they stand against the forces that would tear them apart? All right. Um, here's another one. Um, a creepy Easter bunny costume. Okay. And then uh, one more is um, a holster for a Blackberry. Does anyone know what all of these items have in common? Can anyone guess? <laughs> they were all found in a room by me upstairs a couple of weeks ago, right here in the church that I decided to clean out. Now, um, all of these items were up there among hundreds of other items. And at some point, all of these things were useful to somebody but they are not useful anymore. Now they're basically just clutter in a room. In fact, I went in this small little closet or room and there was all this stuff in there and probably 95% of stuff in there was not useful anymore. It was clutter, which meant the room itself was not useful anymore. I mean, there were a few things in there that were useful, but it was really hard to find the things that were useful because there was so much stuff in there that was unuseful. And so what the room really needed was a deep clean or a deep decluttering process. Now, last week, I suggested that our digital lives are often like this, that we have a lot of digital clutter, a lot of uh, stuff that maybe at one point was useful, but it's not anymore, and it's cluttering up our attention and our lives, and it's often why we feel so distracted it's why it's hard to focus. It's why we're often anxious. It's why our relationships can be difficult to connect with other people. It's why it's hard for us to even be present. And so we are in this series called Deeply Satisfied. We started it a couple of weeks ago, and we are discussing what digital technology is doing to us. And last week, I challenged every single one of us to consider doing a 31-day digital declutter process starting today. Today is October the 1st. So to take an entire month, the month of October, where you just take a break in your life from all uh, forms of digital technology that are optional, that are not necessary for you. So uh, maybe that's Reddit, maybe that's TikTok or YouTube or Snapchat or Netflix, whatever it is. And it's not that any of these things are inherently evil, it's just that there are so many of them in our lives and they have cluttered up our lives so much that we sometimes just need to take a break and to make some space so that we can begin to ask the more important questions. How can technology be useful in our life? What are the good uses of all of these devices that we have in our lives? So um, if you are jumping in today and you are excited and you're doing this 31-day digital decluttering process, then that's awesome. Glad that you're doing that. 
If um, you want to do this process, but you don't really know how, or maybe you weren't here last Sunday and this is the first time you're hearing about it, uh, well, then I recorded a podcast a few days ago. Um, We put it on our website or it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, where I just go through a whole bunch of details and suggestions for how you could do this uh, for 31 days. How do you figure out what's optional in your life, what's essential, all those kind of things. So you could just go home and you could listen to that podcast right after church today, and then you could decide, I'm going to do this, and you could start this afternoon or you could start tomorrow. It is not too late uh, to do this at all. Now, if you were here last Sunday and you heard this challenge, or maybe you weren't here and you're just hearing about it today, and your response is this, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to take a break from all of these things for a month. Then I would first say, well, I get that. I mean, that makes total sense. There is an inherent uh, defensiveness in all of us. Whenever anyone suggests maybe we have too much of something in our life or we're overdoing something and maybe we need to take a break from it, there's sort of that defensiveness that rises up that says, no, I don't need to do that, right? And when I was first challenged to do this, I felt the same exact way. I don't really want to do this. So if you're thinking, I don't want to do that, then my suggestion to you would be to ask a simple question. Why not? Why not? Why don't you want to do this? And and then genuinely try to answer that question. Is it because, well, I just don't like to be told what to do? Is it because, well, I do love Instagram and I do love TikTok and I love Reddit or whatever it is for you. And if I want to spend hours on that every single day, I can spend hours on that, right? Or maybe it's because of FOMO, right? I'm afraid if I sort of give these things up, I'm going to miss out on something. I, I just, I'll miss something, right? Or maybe it's, I'll, I'm just scared I'll get bored. I mean, what will I do if I, if I don't have my shows to watch, if I don't have friends to chat with, if I don't have my, my apps to scroll through or my games to play? Well, then what will I do with all of that time? See, we at least owe it to ourselves If you don't want to do it, and that's totally fine, I don't really want to do it either. We at least owe ourselves to ask, why not? And that begins to get at a deeper question, which is really at the heart of this entire series. It's a question that every single one of us needs to ask, and it's not just about our digital devices, it's about our entire lives. In fact, It is the very first question that Jesus asked of his followers. And Jesus, I think, looks at you and he looks at me today and he asks us the same exact question. It's actually found in the book of John. Now, John's book is different than the other books about Jesus' life. Remember, there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John's book is quite different. Um, John doesn't start with uh, a bunch of stories about Jesus' genealogy or Jesus' birth or Jesus' childhood. Instead, John begins his book um, with this really grand theological introduction. And then the first story that John shares in his book is about a guy named John the Baptist, which is always a bit confusing because there are two main Johns in the New Testament. Um, There's the John who becomes a disciple of Jesus. He becomes one of Jesus' closest friends, and then later he will become a pastor in the early church movement. 
And he's the one who ends up writing this book about Jesus' life that's called John. He also writes several other letters that are included in the New Testament. So that's John, the author and the apostle. But then the second John is called John the Baptist, and he is a completely different guy. John the Baptist is a prophet. Um, He's a bit strange. He lives out in the wilderness. He is often telling people what they're doing wrong, and he's challenging them about the things that they need to change in their lives and that they need to repent of their sin. And when people were convicted about that, they would come to him, and he would baptize them in the river there. He would literally dunk them underwater, and it was a symbol of them being washed clean and made new so that they were leaving their old life behind, and they were embracing a new life with God. And so this guy became known as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And he even attracted his own followers and his own disciples. So the first story that the author and apostle John includes in his book is about John the Baptist baptizing people in the Jordan River. And then he says this. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So John the Baptist is there with two of his followers, and he sees Jesus, and he's seen Jesus before. We actually know that from other stories. And he identifies that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, this is a term that's connected to a whole bunch of Old Testament imagery and a whole bunch of uh, uh, meanings that we can't get into now. But basically what John the Baptist is saying is this guy, Jesus, is the Messiah. He is the one that we've been waiting for. He is the one who will save our people and our nation and make everything right in the world again. He's the one that you should be following, not me. And we're probably just getting a summary or a condensed version of the conversation. But apparently, these two guys who trust John the Baptist as their mentor, they trust him so much that if John the Baptist says, you need to stop following me and you need to start following this other guy, then they should start following the other guy. And that's what they actually do. Now, by the way, we learn a little bit later that one of these guys is named Andrew And then the other guy, we're never told what his name is. And a lot of scholars think that the second guy is John, the author and apostle, because he doesn't usually name himself or point out himself in the book that he writes. But apparently he knows this story, and there's some other clues a little bit later that suggest that maybe he was the second guy. So let's assume he is. John and his buddy Andrew decide that day they're going to switch mentors. They're going to switch rabbis that they follow. They're going to switch allegiances and they're going to start following Jesus instead of John the Baptist. And when they do, do you know what Jesus first says to them? He doesn't say, I'm really glad you're following me now. Because that John the Baptist guy is a little bit off. He's strange. Like he's a, no, he, Jesus doesn't say that. He, he doesn't say, guys, here's the deal. If, if you're going to follow me first, um, I need to share with you my mission, vision, and core values. All right? Because this movement 
has a mission, vision, and core values, and I want to make sure you know it so you know what you're getting into. No, he doesn't say that. He, he also doesn't say, hold on, before you start following me, I need to give you a test to figure out if you are qualified. Because I'm going to gather the 12 best guys in Israel to launch a brand new movement. And I don't want to waste any spots on anybody who's not qualified to be a part of this world-changing movement. If you guys are not cut out for this, no, he doesn't say that either. Instead, these two guys decide to follow Jesus. He looks at them and he asks them a question. And it's the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the book of John. It's the first words that Jesus will say to these would-be followers. It might be the most important question that he ever asked them. And I would suggest it's the question that Jesus asks of every single one of us as well. Look at what it says. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and he asked, what do you want? What do you want? What do you desire? What are you looking for? What are you searching for? What are you seeking after? What do you want? And pretend for a moment that Jesus is asking that question of you today. What do you want? And he's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to stump you. This isn't multiple choice. There's not one right answer. He genuinely wants to know. What do you want in your life? What are you longing for? What are you hungry for? What do you desire? You see, desire, it's almost like Jesus is saying, is a good thing. And he wants to know our deepest desires. And what the apostle John will know, will learn, as he begins to follow Jesus in his life, is that ultimately Jesus doesn't want to just know our deepest desires. He wants to fulfill our deepest desires. So John will tell us a story a few chapters later about a woman one day who's sitting at a well of water with Jesus, and Jesus says this to her, everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. If you take what I have to offer, you will be deeply satisfied. You will never thirst again. Then on a different occasion, uh, Jesus said this to his followers. He said, um, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm like the most nourishing food you could ever eat. If you take what I have to offer, you'll never be hungry. You will be deeply satisfied. And then on another occasion, John tells us, Jesus said this to his disciples. You might recognize this. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That you may have the fullness of life or, or you might have the abundant, overflowing, deeply satisfying life that you long 
for. I came to satisfy your deepest desires, your most significant hungers, the deepest longings of your heart. But first, we need to figure out what those are. And so Jesus says, let's start there. John, Andrew, what do you want? What are you looking for? And here's why this is so important when it comes to our technology. Because without even realizing it, the way that we engage with digital technology today is reshaping and reforming our wants and our desires without even realizing it. Here's another way of putting it. Attention forms affection. What we give our attention to influences and shapes and forms the things that we want, the things that we desire, the things that we are drawn to or attracted to, right? And because we give so much attention now to these screens, right? Three hours, five, seven, ten, maybe twelve hours a day sometimes, because we give so much attention here, it is shaping and forming the things that our hearts are longing for without even realizing it. Now, this happens in a couple of ways. Uh, first, it happens with simply the content of digital media that we watch or that we consume on our phones or on our tablets or our laptops or our TVs, right? Give you a couple of examples. Um, if you happen to watch a lot of violent movies, right, or TV shows where the good guys are always making the bad guys pay, right, where revenge becomes the driving force. I was watching uh, the latest Batman. There have been a million Batmans, right? I was watching the latest Batman recently. Um, and uh, if you've seen it, there's this, uh, there's this um, one scene where these thugs sort of surround Batman in this alley and one of them shouts out, who are you supposed to be? And then this thug goes after Batman and Batman beats this guy up to like a bloody pulp. And then he says, I'm vengeance, right? Do you remember that? You at least remember it from the trailer, right? You see, if I'm constantly soaking up and soaking in this idea of vengeance. We have to make our enemies pay for what they've done to us. If I'm playing games where the entire plot line is for me to kill and destroy my enemies, then eventually, when somebody hurts me or wounds me in life, what do you think I want more than anything else? I want revenge. I want them to pay for what they've done. Here's another example. Uh, think about the content of most of the photos that we post online on, for instance, Instagram, right? Most of them are from amazing vacations, right? Or amazing celebrations or all of the positive things that we experience in life, which makes total sense. Why would I ever post uh, photos of my failures or my embarrassments or my most shameful moments, right? But think about it. If 90% of the content that I'm constantly seeing 
on Instagram are beautiful pictures of people's amazing lives and people's amazing vacations. What do you think that stirs inside of me? It creates a powerful desire to want to go on vacation like that, to want to experience life like that, to want to go to those kind of places as well, which in and of itself, there's, there's really nothing wrong with that, right? But what we give our attention to forms and shapes our affection, what we want, what we begin to desire. I think this is why the Apostle Paul said this. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Focus on these things. Give your attention to these kinds of things because they will shape and form noble and right and pure and admirable and lovely and good desires and wants in your heart. But it's not just the content of what we watch or consume, right? It's the way we engage digital technology much more powerfully and much more inconspicuously is the form or the medium of digital technology. The way we engage it is shaping our wants and desires. Now think about this for a second. We have never had devices like this in human history. A device that can give me an answer to any question I can ask it almost instantaneously. Right? A device that can allow me to purchase any product from anywhere in the world almost instantaneously. Right? A device that can allow me to communicate with like 15 or 20 or 50 people at once at the same time just using my thumbs. A device that with pinpoint accuracy can tell me exactly where I am in the world because it is communicating with a satellite in space and the satellite is communicating back to this device all in a matter of milliseconds, right? I could go on and on about the amazing things that our devices can do, but it's the way that we engage them, the way that we swipe. Have you ever thought about that? If somebody came to you 30 years ago and said, hey, would you take this piece of glass and just swipe it a few hundred times today? They'd be like, are you crazy? Like, but that's what we do now. Hundreds of times a day, we swipe, we share, we like, we delete, we unfriend, we screenshot, we filter, we enhance, we zoom, we choose. And it's these physical activities. You know what? These have been called micro-rituals. It's these micro-rituals that we do dozens and dozens, and for most of us, hundreds of times a day, that we don't realize how just what we're doing is shaping our wants and our desires. I made a list of some of the desires that I think have been significantly shaped by the way that we engage digital technology. We want speed and we want convenience, 
right? Because these devices have made our lives so much more convenient. And they're so much faster at helping us get the things we want, right? Do you remember there was a day when if you wanted to watch a movie on your tablet, you had to like start downloading it before you went to bed at night and hope that it was done the next morning. And today, if you want to watch something, you hit download and like five seconds later, if it's not done, we're all like, ugh, stinking Wi-Fi. What's wrong with it, right? Because we have been shaped to want and desire speed, efficiency, convenience. If I have to wait in line for anything, if I have to slow down, if there's anything that's inefficient or inconvenient in my life, it drives me crazy because I want and desire speed and convenience. We want entertainment almost all the time because these devices are great at providing that. We want stimulation all of the time. We want it. We desire it. We desire something telling us that something is happening. And that's because if you watch you know, TikTok video after TikTok video or uh, you switch back and forth chatting with 10 different people at once, and notice it has nothing to do with the content. It has nothing to do with the conversations you're chatting about or the actual videos you're watching. It's the way that we're constantly being stimulated all of the time and engaging these devices that we don't even know what it's like to be not stimulated, to not have 10 conversations at once, to not be scrolling through video after video. We desire approval from others. The reason I'm constantly checking my email. The reason I'm constantly checking my text messages is because I want to know if they responded. Did they see what I sent them? Did they respond back? Did they send me an emoji, right? The reason I'm constantly checking Slack, the reason I'm constantly checking to see if somebody's commented on my Instagram post or my Facebook post is because we now desire that sort of regular approval from others that other people are thinking about me and know what's going on in my life. We desire escape. Because our devices provide that all the time. We desire control over our lives because with just a swipe and a delete, I can control everything. And now I just want to do that in everything in life. Now I could go on and on, but if we came back to Jesus' question, what do you want? I'm guessing we would never give this list. If Jesus asked deep in your heart, what do you really want? I would probably not say, you know what I really want is speed and convenience and entertainment and stimulation all the time and approval and escape and control, right? I wouldn't give him that list because I've begun to learn that the more I pursue and experience these things in my life, the less truly satisfied I am. And so we have a dilemma We kind of want these things. I've been formed and shaped to want these things. I've given so much of my time and attention that it's formed these things in me. And yet I know they won't satisfy. And so we just come back to Jesus' question, well, what do you really want then? And that's what I want to leave you with today, to just wrestle with that question. 
to maybe go home today or to take some time this week. And if you're doing a digital declutter, then you should have plenty of time this week to to sit down, uh, put a device, put all your devices away and just sit down maybe with a journal and pretend Jesus is just sitting across from you and he's genuinely saying, tell me what you want. What do you want in your career? What do you want in your relationships? What do you want in your family? What do you want in your life? Because if we want to know and experience the deeply satisfying life that he invites us to experience, it'll begin with asking and answering that question. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for creating inside of each one of us a deep hunger for this abundant and satisfying life that you describe. And we confess we sometimes simply don't know how to find it or look for it. And we get sidetracked. And so, God, I pray that today and this week you would help us begin to really ask this question and to seek you out for the answer. We pray this in your name. Amen.